dear son, I'm writing this letter to you in order to share my heart. Matter of fact, I'm not quite sure where to start. Do you remember the time that I told you that I didn't want you to be like me? I know at the time it was hurtful and I know that it was mean, but if I could go back to then, I would have told you that it wasn't what it seemed, but I didn't know how to communicate it. But I subjugated you when I pushed you away. And if I could go back to then, I would have swayed you the other way. But I'm not here, I'm gone. I remember that day. I was going to go outside to play, but I wanted to be with you, so I stayed. And as we sat on my bed, I started to share with you my heart. Your response left me in delay. Up until that moment, I knew if I had you by my side, everything would be okay. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why you didn't want me. But do you remember the time that I told you that I want to be just like you? I saw your heart and I knew your love. I saw your strength and I wanted to be just like you, regardless of what you thought about you, because all I could see was the greatness in you. Do you remember the time that you, Mom, and I went to Lucky Wishbone? I wish we would have stayed at home and had Mom's fried chicken instead. As we ran to the, to the Lucky Wishbone, the car door opened, and I beat my feet to the door, and you stopped me with your booming voice, and you said this to me. Son, do you see the cop over there? He'll arrest you if you don't let ladies go first. And for the life of me, I didn't want to be arrested today, but, and honestly, I just didn't want you to arrest my butt if I didn't listen. So as we sat at the table, I remember pressing my ear to the back of your back as I began to hear the greatness reverberate through my ear into my heart, as I began to comprehend what intimate authority was. You see, and I've not been to jail since then because I've put ladies first. And do you remember Sunday mornings? You and I would wake up early and leave the house and let mom rest. We would go to the store and buy chicken, eggs, and biscuits. And then when we came home, we would start cooking. And I remember looking around the corner to make sure that mom didn't come down until it was time to make memories again. The aroma of love filled the house. The aroma of love filled my soul. The aroma in its essence was soul food. The aroma in its essence is soul food. To me, it was soul food. And I remember that too, but please forgive me for being rude. I don't want you to be like me, please. Well, it's a little late for that. You see, the moment I took my first breath, I was like you. The first time I ever said your name, I was like you. And before my eyes saw you, I heard your voice and I knew I was like you. And all I knew is I wanted to be just like you. You see, when I have a son and he says, Dad, I want to be just like you. I will gladly accept that honor, but not without you. You see, I want him to see the you in me, just like you saw the you in me. And just like I hope that he sees the father that I always hope to see. I want him to see the me in you. 
and as he gets older, I'm going to tell him, son, I want you to be just like you and me too. And when he gets older, I want him to tell his son, son, I want you to be just like me and you too. Thank you. Thank you, Will. I appreciate that. That was amazing. Wow. Before we begin, let's go ahead and, uh, if you'd bow your heads with me, we're going to go ahead and pray. ask that God would, would bless this message and that we could hear from him today. Lord God, Father, Abba, we thank you, Father, for, for being there for us always, every day, even when we didn't choose to acknowledge you, even when we didn't look to you, God, you were there for us, and you were there with us, and you continue to do that for us. God, we thank you that you brought us here today to hear your word, and we ask you that that your word would be spoken, that you would get me out of the way, that you would allow your spirit to speak into the hearts and minds of everyone here, that your truth would be made known. Lord, let your word speak to us. God, show us what you, what you have to, for us today. Show us what you're saying to us today and, and also what you want us to do about it as we go back into the world after we leave here. And God, we thank you again for this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Well, thank you. Good morning. There's a few of you that are awake. Good morning. <laughs> All right. I'm Rob Crespo. Um, I'm here to deliver the message today to you. Today we are taking kind of a, a detour from our normal verse-by-verse verse or passage-by-passage passage look at Colossians, and we're skipping ahead a little bit, a few verses, to Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to Colossians 3, please do so. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. And I also had some handouts I printed off for you guys, so if you did not grab a handout, then uh, we can try to get some. Is there anyone that did not grab a handout, did not get one as they walked in the door today? Excellent. Let's see. Uh, where's Malcolm? Or Christian, can you take care of that? I think there's some out on the table out there. When Christian gets back, he'll come and hand you out some so that you can take notes and, um, because I have a lot of verses today. Um, that's kind of my style. I like going through the Bible and pulling out as many verses as I can to help us understand the, the totality of what Scripture has to say about the topic we're talking about. So take some notes, and then you can go review them this week as you're uh, having your own time with the Lord. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 
This is the word of our Lord Jesus spoken through Paul to us today. Today, we're here to talk about fathers. And I want you to know that I understand, just as Will mentioned from the beginning and we've, we've heard about through, throughout today, and you've probably heard over and over again on this day, that this idea of fathers is something that many of us, too many of us, it's kind of strange. Maybe it's a little bit painful to us to think about fathers. And I understand and I don't want to pretend that everybody here has great experiences with fathers. Maybe some of us didn't have a good experience. Maybe we had abusive fathers or neglectful fathers or even fathers we didn't know about because they weren't there. So if that is your experience, I want you to know that you can still connect to the passage today. You can still connect to this message because God's word has something to speak to every single one of us, regardless of our experience with fathers. So two ways we can take a look at this message today. One is simply a straightforward exhortation from God to fathers on, or to men on how to be good fathers and how to be good husbands. The second way we can take a look at it is maybe if you didn't have a good experience with the Father, is to see this as a picture of our Heavenly Father and how He interacts with His bride, the church, and with His children. You and me, for every one of us that calls Him our Father. So today we have four topics from today's sermon. And... Uh, Nathan, if you'd click through to the, the slide on the four topics. <clears throat> the four topics for today's sermon that we're going to address, first off, is the biblical basis or biblical role of a father. Then we're going to talk about the three commands that this passage has for us. And then we're going to talk about how to live as a husband and how to live as a father. So first off, we're going to address where in the Bible we see the biblical basis for the role of fathers. The first thing that we see in the biblical basis for the role as father is that we find our identity, our identity. So if you've got a note taker there, you can follow along and fill in some of the blanks there as we're going through. Genesis 1.27, we read, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And as you look at this, not only for men, but for women also, God imprinted upon us his image from the beginning. When we were born, we were born with the image of God imprinted on our soul. And that's why when we are looking at, when we're looking at things, when we're trying to find out who we are, we will never be able to do so completely unless we look first to the fact that God created us in his image. So we must look at God first and foremost. I want you to take a minute and think back, or you can't really think back, but think to Adam, Genesis 1. Think about the fact if you were Adam or you were Eve and you were sitting there and you just had your firstborn son, all right? Maybe some of us can relate to that. I can relate to that myself as we had Matthew just over four years ago. And think about Adam, though, because he had no reference for what it meant to be a father, right? 
No kids have been born before his son did, right? So think about Adam sitting there holding his son and thinking about what does it mean for me to be a father? Where did he get that reference from? Where did he get that idea of what he's supposed to do when his son is crying, when his son is running around, crawling around away from him, when his son is disobeying him as he grew older? Think about where did Adam get that reference, that idea of how to father his son? Well, we know that God spoke more readily, more one-on-one with people in person back in those days, but also it goes back to this idea of identity that God placed on, in Adam his image on his heart, on his soul. So when Adam was trying to figure out how to be a dad, how to be a father, he had to look nowhere else than his own father, the man, the God, excuse me, the God who created him. And that's where Adam was able to get that. The divine imprint from his heavenly father. And why is it important to begin with understanding our identity? It's because human fatherhood was designed to reflect divine fatherhood. This is the relationship that God has for his chosen heirs. You see, if we fail to connect our relationship uh, the, our relationship with our sons or our relationship with our fathers to God as our father and how God relates to his children. And is for me as a father, if I fail to do that, then I'm going to fail as a father, period. Because I don't have a true reference to understand how to be a father. We're destined, if we, if we fail to make this connection, we're destined to miss the purpose and the method, and the joy of true fatherhood. The second thing that we see here is that um, we understand our purpose. Men are designed by God to help their children and also help their families to understand their purpose. They are the head of the household, and so they are supposed to set the tone for where the family is going. Just like a CEO of a company is in charge of setting the purpose, setting the mission, setting the vision for the organization, men, as the, as the head of the household, are supposed to set the role, set the vision, set the mission for the family. They set the tone for how things are going. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made all things for himself. So as godly men... As godly leaders, they need to understand that they were made for God's purpose. They're made to serve God. They're made to honor God. See, men are are tools to be used by God for his purposes. But not only that, we were created to have relationship with God. We're created to be in communion with God, in fellowship with God. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves. Biblical role for men in creating their purpose is to understand that we are to take control and take dominion over everything that God has given us to do that with. So men set the tone for their families over whatever their purview is, whatever their job is. 
and they're supposed to take that responsibility and act that out. We were created to fill the earth and subdue it. We were given that authority. And that doesn't mean that we just do it for our own purposes. We do it as stewards, understanding that that authority, that responsibility comes from God first. And so we do that recognizing that we do that as a praise and a worship to God. Anything that God places in our purview, we recognize that it's his first and we use and we take dominion over it for his glory. God says glorify in 1 Corinthians 6:20, God says glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So it's not just our physical actions, but it's also the way we praise. Men set the tone for in the way their families worship in their praise. Secondly, or thirdly, we see that God uses men as a means for establishing covenant. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God used men as the leaders of the family to establish covenant relationship and covenant blessings for the families. We see it in Genesis 6:17 with Noah. And God said to Noah, he said, because of your faith in me and your trust in me, I'm going to preserve you and establish for you a generation that will continue. In Genesis 16, we see Abraham, it's really 15 through 17, we see the idea of God establishing a divine covenant with Abraham where he gave them a physical representation of that covenant relationship. He instituted circumcision, and that circumcision was the idea that is a physical, uh, a physical sign of the relationship that was going on on the inside among or between God and Abraham and God's people. And that's why we continue with baptism today, because baptism, when you are brought into the covenant relationship of the Christian family, you recognize that God calls us to be baptized, and that baptism is an outward sign, much like circumcision was. And the New Testament calls all believers to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's a physical sign of what's going on on the inside in our hearts. We also see this idea of God establishing covenant relationship through men, through Moses and his leadership over the Israelites when he brought them out of Egypt and then took them into the land that God had called them to and said was theirs from well before that. 2 Samuel 7, we see the same thing with David where he said, I am going to redeem my people through you and through your descendants. And ultimately that came through Jesus Christ from the line of David, through David, through his descendants, all the way to Jesus. You see, how is this illustrated? Well, we've talked about this many times. We see this in the triangle illustration that we use. When we understand who God is as our father and by faith, we then are able to find our identity. And through our identity and submitting to him, we can then understand our purpose and act in line with that purpose in obedience. So back to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we see three commands that Paul is giving to husbands in this passage. The first command that he gives to husbands is husbands, love your wives. The second one is do not be harsh with them. And then finally, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. So those are the three commands he gives us. 
And so first off, we're going to look at those first two commands as, a, as Paul tells us how to relate to wives as husbands. And then finally, we're going to take a look at how to live as a father in the third command that he gives to us. So first off, how to live as a husband. First thing that he tells us to do, it's very simple, love your wives. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think loving our wives is a suggestion? No, it's not, is it? Loving your wives is a command. It is something that not only God tells us to do, but he commands us to do. He says, husbands, love your wives. Dr. J. Adams, a renowned Christian marriage counselor, had a man come to him stating that he wanted a divorce. And so Dr. Adams asked him, why do you want a divorce? And he said, because I no longer love my wife. So I want a divorce. And Dr. Adams was sitting there thinking about what he should do, what advice he should give. And he said, okay, I, th I think I know what you need to do. You need to go home and love your wife. <laughs> and the guy said, okay, hold on. I don't think you understand this. I don't love my wife. There's no love in me for my wife. You're telling me to go home and to love? I told you, I, I can't. I don't have that feeling anymore. I don't have that, that passion, that love for her that I had when we were younger, when we were newly married. I don't love my wife anymore. So Dr. Adams sat there and thought for a second again, and he said, okay, I, th I, th I think I know what we need to do now. I think here's the advice I'm going to give you. This is, this is what you should do, all right? You need to go back home, grab your stuff, and move next door. Move into your neighbor's house next door, and just live there, and that will fix it. And he said, wait, what are you talking about? Move next door? How is that going to fix things? And he said, well, God told us through his word that we're supposed to love our neighbors. So... If you move next door, she'll be your neighbor, and she'll be your wife. So now you'll have two reasons that you're supposed to love her. So the man started to get a little bit more angry, started to get a little bit more exacerbated about this. He said, no, you don't understand. There is no love in me for this woman, none at all. I can't stand her. I can't stand to look at her. I can't stand to be around her at all. I want a divorce. And Dr. Adams said, so you're saying there's some enmity between you two? He's like, have you been listening to anything I've been saying? Of course. So Dr. Adams said, well, you know, God says, love your enemies. <laughs> it's a funny story, but it's, it's really true. It illustrates this purpose. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. You see, love is a choice, but it's also a command. 
See, just like you have people who tell you you have to go do things, we have laws in this world we live in that we have to do certain things. You have to pay your taxes on April 15th. You have to obey the speed limits. And when you don't, there's consequences. You still have a choice in the matter, but you are commanded to do those things. Love is the same way. The other thing about love is that love is not a feeling or a passion. That's not what the word love here is talking about. Love here is talking about an action. It's talking about using that choice and making a conscious decision to go do something for your wife or do something to your wife. Dr. R.C. Sproul comments on this and he says, it's more accurately translated, husbands, be loving to your wives. That means action. That means even if you don't feel like doing it, you are still to go love your wives. The same thing is said, could be said about the, the passage, the, the sister passage that talks about respecting husbands for the wives. Um, but the idea here is that men, even if your wife does not respect you, even if your wife doesn't do things for you, doesn't take care of the things you want her to or ask her to, even if she runs away from you, you are still commanded to love your wife and do that in spite of who she is. If you're having problems loving your wife's men, then I will argue with you that you have an identity crisis. Because as we saw in the image of the triangle before, we understand the concept of love through our understanding of who God is. And if we don't understand who God is, then we are unable to understand how to love people. So if you're having a problem loving your wife, then start thinking to yourself, do I really know who God is? Do I understand my father? Because if you don't, then it makes sense that you would not understand how to love your wife. The final thing we're going to do today is look at how to live as a father. Paul says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I put this up here for you to see what John Piper says about this. He reminds us that the word discouraged here implies losing heart, being listless, spiritless, disinterested, moody, sullen, with kind of blank resignation toward life. You see, as fathers, kind of like Will was talking about, we have a big, a significant influence in our children's view of who they are, in their sense of identity. We shape that for our children at a very, very young age with the manner in which we praise them or discipline them, the way we encourage them, the way we support them and relate to them. All these things have vital consequences on how, how our children are going to view themselves. And it will impact their future. So if the Bible commands fathers not to discourage their children, then the opposite must be true. The opposite command must be true that we must encourage them, 
And so what does, it look, what does the opposite of discourage look like? Well, I've, get you, I've put three things in your notes for you to, to take down. The three things that we will say are the opposite of discouraging are hopefulness. We as fathers, we as parents are supposed to create children who are hopeful. The second is happy. We as fathers and children are supposed to create children who understand happiness. And finally, courage and confidence. Now, if I stopped here and just said that, then this sermon would be incomplete. Because this, these three things you can get from any self-help novel you want, any secular book about parenting, you can get all these things, and in and of themselves, they may have some measure of success, but unless you understand that last point, that every single one of these has to be done in the context of who God is, then neither of these will be complete. None of them will be complete. Parents should work to develop in their children hopefulness in God, happiness in God, and confidence and courage in God. You see, hopefulness in God is talking about the idea that we understand that God is sovereign over all things. God has not only taken care of everything in the past, but he is taking care of everything in the future. And so when we understand who God is and his sovereignty, then we can have true hope in the future and everything that will happen. Happiness in God is the idea that we understand that God is love. We understand God is doing all things for our good, for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And And courage and confidence in God is recognizing that God has already won the battle. God has already defeated every single battle that we are going to face in this world. So when we understand who God is and we know who our daddy is, we understand that he, in him, we can have courage and confidence because when we act in faith in alignment with our identity in him, then we have his authority and we can act in power because of who he is because he is not going to put in front of us an obstacle that he is not gonna say, you go take care of that in my power, through my authority. He's not going to do that because he loves us. So how do we do this, friends? How do we live these things out? Well, three things that we can talk about. Information, imitation, and innovation. You've heard me talk about this before. You've probably heard this before if you've been through Huddle. But the idea is through information, we need to read the word to our children. We need to expose them to the truth of God's word. We need to pray with them. We need to sing songs with them that sing about the glories of God. And when we do that, we will inspire the hope, happiness, and confidence in God. Because of who he is, not because of who we are. We recognize that if we look to ourselves for those three things, for hopefulness, happiness, and courage, we will fail every single time because we cannot do it on our own. The second thing we do is we imitate a life 
that believes the truth and steps out in faith by trusting that God will supply all our needs and will work all things out for our good and for his glory. You see, if children do not see you as a parent exercising hopefulness, then how are they going to understand the concept of hopefulness? If they don't see you as happy and joyful in God, how are they going to be able to do that themselves? If they don't see you acting in confidence, understanding who God is and stepping out in faith and confidence, they're not going to be able to do that themselves because they're going to mimic who their parents are. And if you don't mimic it for them, they're going to find someone else to go mimic other behaviors. So we need to live those out for our children. And finally, we create an environment where it's safe for them to exercise these behaviors. So when I said fathers and parents are supposed to create an environment where children are able to be hopeful, we need to inspire that in them. And when they, when they talk to you about their hopes and their dreams, we need to encourage them and support them in those dreams. Sometimes you might think, well, I'm a realist, and they've got these dreams that are way out there, way too far away for them to ever achieve. And so maybe I'll put some realism into their lives. Well, you need to temper that with the idea that if you continue to crush dreams in your children, then they'll just stop dreaming. Same thing with happiness. When our kids are joyful, we need to be joyful with them. When they succeed and they're happy about things, we need to be happy with them. And when they're facing battles, when they need courage and confidence, we need to instill that in them. We need to speak to them in ways that speaks courage into their lives. Not in who they are necessarily, point out their benefits, point out their, their strengths, but also remind them of who God is. Because if they understand that they can face any battle with a God that is with them, then they will be able to face any challenge that comes up. Another way to look at this, if, you, um, if we take this to the next step, is we understand that top triangle, we just kind of saw that how our Heavenly Father defines for earthly fathers their identity and allows us to then act in obedience in accordance with the purpose that he has for us. We as fathers help shape the earthly identity of our children. Not that we are perfect by any means. We understand that. We are just an image. We are just a picture of who our God is. And we should always point our children to who God is because as we are being sanctified, as we are becoming more like Christ, then our children will begin to see more of God in us. And it will point them, as you see that arrow going back, it will point them back to the Father. So as we live our lives with our children, as we shepherd them, as we disciple them, we point them to Christ and help them live out that obedience and live out their purpose. So as we close today, if you'll bow your heads with me, 
I know that this is a, a challenging idea. Even bringing up, like Greg said earlier, even bringing up the idea of fathers, for some of us, just kind of makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up. And I want to encourage you today that if that is your feeling, if that is your if that is your natural instinct when you hear fathers, remember that you have a heavenly father who loves you, who doesn't hurt you. He may challenge you. He may call you to places that are uncomfortable, but he does it out of love. And maybe today you don't know what that means. You don't know what having a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally um, means I encourage you that you can leave here today knowing that and knowing that you have a Heavenly Father and begin the road to understanding the truth about who God is and who Christ is and what he came to this world to do for you. Lord God, as we apply what you're telling us today through your word, through Colossians, we recognize that we cannot understand our fathers completely until we look to you. So God, as we go throughout this week, as we process the words that you've given us today, help us to remember that while our heavenly fathers are imperfect, They were still given to us by you because you placed us into those families for your purpose, for your glory. So God, please help us to take this exhortation from Paul, take these commands from Paul that you gave to him through your spirit and live out what it means to be good fathers, good parents to our kids. We know that this message is not just for fathers, but it's for the mothers here in the room today. It's for the wives here in the room today. It's for those that maybe hope to become mothers and wives, maybe those that hope to become fathers and husbands. Lord, this message is for everybody here today. And as we, as we go from here, God, help us to have a new and fresh idea of who you are as you've perfected everything that we hear today. You inspire us to be hopeful. You inspire us to be joyful and happy, and you inspire us to be confident, God. May we live in that every day. And may we inspire others to do the same as, as we go out and we make disciples. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the cross of your son, Jesus, and what that means to us here today that call you our Savior and Lord. We ask all this in the name of, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.